You guys can be seated. Wow. Good morning, Redemption. How y'all doing today? Y'all sound lovely. You look lovely. I'm just excited to be here with y'all. My name is Ethan Berwick. I am the discipleship coordinator here at Redemption Church. So basically all things small groups, uh, that falls under me. And um, I just wanted to let you know that I'm really excited about uh, sharing God's word today, especially following the week. I don't know if you heard, but we baptized 45 people last week. It's so crazy. I was supposed to preach last week, but there were so many people that signed up for baptisms that we were like, let's just celebrate what God's doing and we'll, we'll move this on to the following week. And so uh, God's obviously doing something amazing in our church, right? It's so beautiful. People are experiencing life change through Jesus. And uh, that leads us in, back into our sermon series that we're going through right now in 1 Peter. It's called Christians Are Crazy. Christians are crazy. Sometimes it's for good reasons and sometimes it's for bad reasons. And you just hope you're not those Christians. Um, to a world that is broken and lost, Christians and the way that we are called to live looks absolutely crazy. It looks absolutely crazy. And um, over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Byron's been preaching out of 1 Peter. And what he's really been doing is he's been taking a magnifying glass. Can y'all see me? I can't see you. This does not work. He's been taking a magnifying glass to the culture, to the world around us. And um, so what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is looking at that and we're seeing like, why, why has the world gone so wrong? What is wrong in the world? It's very clear to us that, that something is wrong with the world. Um, you know, you don't have to look very hard to see that, that there are real problems um, that, that we face every day. But in the midst of those real problems, um, the question really is, how do we live right whenever the world has gone wrong? And so I want to talk to you about that today. And this is what First Peter is about, where we took our magnifying glass and now we're going to take a mirror and we're going to look at ourselves in the mirror. And so that's what I want all of you to do today as we're going through this scripture, um, as we're, we're listening to, to Peter uh, and his words, I want you to be thinking not about anyone else. I don't want you to be thinking about the world. I don't want you to be thinking as I'm speaking like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here and they, they really need to hear this. I really want this to be a moment where we get to kind of take in like an internal inventory of where we stand based off of um, what we talk about today, which is uh, I'm going to be giving you three ways to live right whenever the world has gone wrong. And so let's start off with it. The first way to live um, right when the world's gone wrong is to live by the character of a believer. To live by the character of a believer. In verse 8, it says um, this. It's talking about the relationship that we see amongst a community of believers and the relationships that we should see among um, believers. Because how many of you know that like we're all in process right now? We're all in process. Yes, we may be saved, but we're also being sanctified, which means that we are also dealing with sin. And so in that process, whenever we're a community of believers living and doing life together, there's going to be conflict. And so Peter addresses that today. And so as we look at this, um, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to pick up your mirror and I want you to take an internal inventory. So we'll start with this, verse 8. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And then verse 9, 
uh, specifically is about whenever people try to do harm to you. It says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain the blessing. And then Peter goes on and he says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so what we see here is Peter tells us what the character of a believer should look like. And we see that like whenever there's, there's tit for tat, whenever there's an eye for an eye, whenever you see these things come up in the world, that, that we are called to something higher, which looks crazy to the world. And so my question for you today is, is do you carry the character of a believer? And so I want to go through this. I want to take a, an inventory of everything Peter said, and we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at what righteous character of a believer looks like. And then all I did was take the opposite of what was in that verse in verse eight, and we're gonna look at the unrighteous character of a believer, and we'll see where we stand with this. So let's do the first one. The first um, character of righteousness that we see from Peter is unity of mind. Unity of mind. You know, despite all of our differences in this room even, or even if you go to a small group, which has like eight to 12 people in it, like there are so many differences that we have. And what is it that keeps us in unity of mind? It's the blood of Jesus, that he has died and saved us from our sins. And so we wanna be in unity of mind. He says here that we wanna be of one mind. And some translations actually uh, use the word harmonious, that we wanna live harmoniously with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, what's a harmony? It's, it's whenever you take a melody in a song and then you throw a harmony on it and it complements and makes it a fuller sound. And so the song that we sing with our lives, with our brothers and sisters, it can be fuller if we live in unity. Peter is telling us that whenever we live life together in such a way that complements each other for the sake of making a joyful noise to God in a way that we, in the way that we live. And so where there is unity in Jesus, God is there. And where God is, the spirit of freedom is there too. And so where you see unity in Jesus, freedom is there, which is why I'm so thankful for Redemption Church. I'm so thankful for Redemption Church. So we have the unity of mind. Then we have sympathy. Um, other translations would say having compassion for one another. It's so important that we as believers... Um, do what Jesus calls us to do, which is to be compassionate. And when are we supposed to be compassionate? In times of strife and conflict. It's easy to be compassionate with people that you're at peace with. It's hard to be compassionate whenever you are in a disagreement, whenever you have conflict. Um, Peter wouldn't have to remind us to be compassionate if, if that were the case. Uh, he's saying someone with righteous character can, can and will show sympathy and compassion to those he's in conflict with. And when Peter is calling us to be sympathetic, he's calling us to care deeply for the needs, joys, and sorrows of our brother and sister that stand in across from us. And so it's important that in the, in the middle of conflict that we should be sympathetic to our brother and sister in Christ. 
Number three is this, seeking understanding. So right here, the term is brotherly love. And the more I was thinking about it, the more I, I, I realized, well, brothers, what do they do? They fight. They fight all the time. But at the end of the day, they come together. Why? Because they're brothers, because they're blood. And what I see is that if you don't come together, it's because something is happening and usually it's you're not seeking to understand each other. Whenever there's conflict, you have to go to seek to understand. Whenever there's, uh, you need clarity, you don't go around and start talking to everybody else and complain about it. You go to that person and you seek to understand. It's very easy to see whenever someone is lined up with the character of a believer or not by how they handle conflict. Because if they come to you and they seek to understand, you know that they're in the right spot. And so hopefully that's you as these situations and circumstances come up. Number four is this, tenderhearted. A believer is to be tenderhearted. And this term is, is often used in scripture um, to kind of accompany the idea of one who forgives. This is someone who's tenderhearted, not only to the person in front of you, but to the Lord. Because if you're tenderhearted towards the Lord, then you have the Lord's heart for that person. So he calls us to be tenderhearted. Number five, humility. This, this is something that Paul calls us to, to be humble, which is the opposite of pride. You want to avoid pride. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm not worth anything. No, that's not what it is. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others. It's considering others in everything that you do. It's serving others in everything that you do. And so if you're able to do these things, then you will be able to find peace. And that's the sixth thing, to seek peace. All of these righteous characteristics, the unity of mind, sympathy, um, seeking understanding, a tender heart and humility, all of these things cannot be found unless you choose to seek peace. And so Peter calls us to seek peace. And then we see why in verse 12, why we should ultimately choose to live by the righteous character of a believer. Let's read it together. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Listen, I wanna tell you today that righteous character is rewarded and unrighteous character is judged by God. So whose eyes are on the righteous? God. God's eyes are on the righteous. And what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna make a really important point that's gonna help us get through the next thought that we're gonna cover together because it's, um, it's a difficult one. There's a lot of tension in it. And, um, and so remember today we're holding up our mirror, right? We're holding up our mirror. We're taking an internal inventory. We're being honest with ourselves whenever we look at this. So I want you to consider yourself as we talk through these things. And it doesn't matter if you think that you're right in your own eyes because everybody is right in their own eyes. It matters if you're right in God's eyes. And that should be a check. That should be a check on you because everyone is right in their own eyes and everyone is always the hero in their own story. They're never the bad guy. And if everyone's the hero, then somebody's deceived and it might be you. You have to consider this. You have to consider this. And the only way to know if you are righteous in God's eyes is to go before God himself is to have um, other believers in your life that will hold you accountable. 
people who are also following after the Lord and seeking after God. You need these things because the only thing that will remove the, the scales of deceit from your eyes is the spirit of God. It's the only thing. It's not thinking it through really well. It's not going to someone who's gonna, who's gonna agree with you and make you feel better in a situation. Like clearly you're right. That's usually what people do. They go and talk to as many people as they need to for someone to tell them, yeah, you're justified in, in your way of being, in the way that you're acting. No, you have to go before God himself and, and in humility. Because if you just go to God and be like, hey, God, I'm right in this situation. Is God going to hear you? Maybe not. Why? Because the, what does it say? The... Um, his ears are open to their prayer, being the ones who are righteous. And if, you're in a, and if you're in a place of unrighteousness, if you're acting out of unrighteousness, his face is not on you. His face is not upon you. His ear is not to you. And so you have to go with humility. That's why I'm saying we need to hold up the mirror today. Um, so this is, so we, we talked about righteous character and, and I'm saying all of this to preface um, the opposite which is we're gonna talk about what unrighteous character looks like. If there's a character of a believer that we should live by, then there's character of a believer that we should not live by. And so I wanna cover those things as well. And all I did was take the characteristics that Peter gave us and did the opposite and then explored those a little bit. So we're gonna do that together right now. So like I said, remember, remember, I want you to pick up your mirror, look at yourself whenever we're talking about this. That's what Peter wants us to do today. All right, so let's see. We have six unrighteous characteristics. Number one is the spirit of division. Two is hostility. Three is seeking separation. Four is hard-hearted. Five is pride. And six is revenge. Now, all of these are different in their own right, but they also carry some similarities. So you'll see some overlapping that takes place as we're talking about this. So I'm gonna start with number one, spirit of division. Just like most evil spirits, um, this spirit is cunning and it's quiet and you can't see it. And usually the people that it follows cannot see that it's following them and their actions and that it's playing behind their actions. It's a spirit that seeks to separate and divide and destroy. And so you don't want a spirit of division following behind your actions. It can come between friendships, it can come between marriages, it can come between families, it can come between your workplace, it can come between a nation, and it can come between church, your church family. That's how church um, division in a church takes place. Or whenever you see churches split, a church split, it's terrible. It's because someone in there was probably being led by the spirit of division. And that could happen to us too. And you could be that person. That's why it's important that we take this inventory and take a look at this. Amen. The one, uh, and, and I wanna point out that one of the commanding officers in the spirit of division is gossip, which we have all been guilty of at one time or another. And so my prayer is that if that's you, that you would... Um, be able to see that and be able to repent of that today to God and to whoever you've been gossiping to. So let's kind of talk about it a little bit. Gossip is spreading seeds of doubt and deceit about others. And typically it's towards an authority figure that's over you. So basically like 
like, oh, you saw how they messed up there? I could do better than that. There should be someone else in charge. Different things like that. It's basically seeing uh, something you would consider to be an issue. Instead of going to that person and addressing it, you go and find all your little minions that are going to agree with you. You try to bring them to you. You try to bring them to you, and that's what gossip is. And we try to justify gossip by claiming that we're just there to help point out the problems. You know, someone has to point out the problems, so why don't I do it? Well, the problem is if you were there to help, then whenever you see a problem, you would go address it with that person and not go create a little army amongst yourself to, to do some sort of insurrection, right? We do this in marriage. You see this between a husband and a wife. Maybe a husband messes up or a wife messes up, and then that husband, he goes to all of his boys and he starts talking negatively about her and, and pulls the other people into himself instead of addressing the problem straightforward with his wife or going to the, his, his friends and saying, listen, like, um, I have somewhere to grow here. Like, what's, what's the issue with me here? How can I grow as a person? I'm not trying to bring you to fight my wife with me. I'm trying to bring you in so that I can be a better man, a better husband to my wife. You see this spirit of division everywhere. And listen, I'm not saying that you can't have conflict with people. I'm actually saying the opposite. You should have conflict with people whenever there is an issue. But that looks like you addressing it. Matthew 18 gives us a perfect guideline of exactly what we're supposed to do with our brothers and sisters in Christ whenever there's a conflict. I wanna read it for you guys. Verse 15 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. It doesn't say go and talk to everyone else about it until you feel good and then go talk to him. It says go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother, which that's the hope, right? That's, what, that's your prayer going into it is that I'm coming to address this not to start a war with you because I want to see you continue to be who God has called you to be. And then it says in verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. And this is something that you see that, that several people see, then you should take one or two people with you out of love to go to this brother or this sister and address whatever the issue is. And the idea there is that you're, you're holding everybody accountable in that situation. Because if there's already been one conversation and, and they didn't listen, then you need to have other people that hold you accountable and them accountable to what they say after that point. And hopefully they come back um, and, and you're able to gain a brother or sister in Christ. And then 17, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, which would be the elders. So if they, if they refuse to listen after that, then you go talk to the elders so that the elders can talk to them. And, um, and it can be a, a, something that we can deal with like as a church family. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which basically means treat him as not just an unbeliever, but someone, well, yeah, basically treat him as an unbeliever that, that needs to meet Jesus and not just um, another believer, a brother or sister in Christ. So I'm not saying don't have conflict. I'm actually saying that if you refuse to go address the problem with someone directly and you choose to go to others instead, you're actively being led by Satan. 
You're actively being led by Satan. Why do I say that? Because it's the very thing that Satan was kicked out of heaven for. He was Lucifer, the worshiping angel. And he looked at God and his leadership and he said, I should be in charge. And so he went to all the other angels and he started trying to convince them to pull them away from their submission to the Lord. He tried to draw them unto himself. And then what happened? God cast them out of heaven. Just like he's telling us right here that we should cast them out of church. At that point, there's steps to take. You want to give grace and grace and grace, but there is a line in the sand. And I'm saying this to say that, like, this is super serious. Spirit of division, gossip, this is super serious. You never want to be in that situation. And hopefully, because we all have been in that situation, that whenever we are able to see that we've been that person, that we just go before God and repent. Because there is a way forward if we repent. And God obviously takes poorly to these kinds of actions. Um, I want to show you what he says in Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. I cannot believe that this is a real scripture in the Bible. He goes so hard. It's terrifying. He goes so hard. So we'll start in verse 12. It says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. That sounds like gossip to me. Yeah. When you sit back, see? See how they messed up right there? Yeah. There should be someone else in charge here. I could do better. That, <laughs> that is a great picture of this. And then, and then in verse 15, he says this, therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing, beyond healing. That means he's gone, never coming back. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. I don't want that to be me. That freaks me out. <laughs> and so that's why I have, I have people around me that I, that I want to hold me accountable because I know this could happen to any of us. This can happen to any of us. And then it continues on and it says in verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven, of, uh, seven that are an abomination to him. And he goes on, but what I wanna focus on is uh, the, the, the last thing that he considered that he hates and he considers to be an abomination. And it's this, the one who sows discord among brothers. The one who sows discord among your local church. God hates and calls it an abomination. He does not take lightly to that. And so you need to be aware of those things. And it, and it starts from something as simple as gossip, which is something that we've all struggled with at one point or another, especially whenever there was something that we didn't agree with, that we, that we saw a difference in. And I'm bringing this up because I do want you to be able to go before God and repent. I do want you to be able to do that because there isn't a lot of wiggle room in eternity for actions that are considered to be an abomination by God with no repentance. Hell is hot and forever is a long time. And I don't want any of you going there. I don't want to go there. And so you want to go before God because the spirit of division is literally demonic. It is a Luciferian spirit. It's a satanic spirit. And it follows Christians all the time. You are not just 
out of the weeds whenever you give your life to the Lord from being infiltrated by demonic spirits that oppress and, and, and influence your actions. Because as soon as your heart pulls away from repentance, as soon as your heart pulls away from unbelief, as soon as your heart goes towards pride, it's over. And typically this comes from a root of bitterness. It's whenever you have unforgiveness that is built up into resentment uh, in your heart because deep down you, you wanna be the leader and you refuse to, to deal with the bitterness inside of you. And so therefore you're, there's a spirit that follows you that divides and, and destroys everything that you touch. And that's why every time that you go somewhere new that you enter into a new relationship that you enter into a new organization, into a new, chor- into a new church, you're not a part of building it up. It's torn down. It's a pattern. And hopefully you begin to see that. Right. Second thing is this. <laughs> I went a little longer with that one because I feel like it's so important. And so we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna make our way through these real quick. Uh, second thing is hostility. People who carry the spirit of division um, often are people who put you on the other team. There doesn't have to be a team whenever we're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all on the same team, right? But how easy is it for us to put someone else on the other team? And the, the thing is because you can't be hostile to someone that you love, but you can be hostile to someone that you make an enemy in your mind. And I can't stand it whenever Christians go after other Christians. Like Jesus didn't die for their sins too can't stand it. It's one thing to hold people accountable, but it's another thing for your brothers and sisters in Christ um, to treat them like they're your enemy. The third thing is this, seeking separation. So this would just basically be the opposite of, um, of seeking understanding is to where there's, there's no room for reconciliation in your heart with this other person. I've been guilty of this before where you go in and you're like, you know that you're right, and you go in and you just tell them off, but there's no seeking to understand. There's no seeking that, that maybe this person deserves forgiveness, or maybe you're not entirely right. You're seeking to separate, and, and what separates? Sin. You're sinning against your brother and sister whenever you seek to separate, and you're not seeking um, after understanding. The fourth thing is this, a hard heart. I want y'all to listen to me well on this one. A hard heart produces a deaf ear to God's voice in your life. So you don't ever want to have a hard heart. And the hard thing about it is that that heart is deceived. And the worst thing about being deceived is you have no idea that you're being deceived. Because in your own eyes, you're right. But to everyone else around you, you're wrong. You typically, whenever you have a hard heart, you, you actually replace God's voice with your own aspirations. You, you go by what your, your, your mind, your heart, and your emotions tell you, believing that you're right in your own way, and you call it God. Oh, I'm having a great experience with God right now. It's like, no, you are caught up in sin. Your heart is hard. I mean, your, your, your heart is hard. And you're not in communion with God. You're just in communion with yourself. Oh, that wasn't in my nose. Um, 
fifth thing. Yeah, someone write that down so I can use that in the next service. <laughs> um, number five is pride. So C.S. Lewis talks about this being the anti-God state of mind because pride is at the root of basically every other sin. And pride was the thing that, that ultimately had Lucifer casted out of heaven. And pride is the very thing that all of mankind deals with. So you want to stay away from pride. And how do you do that? By pursuing humility, like we talked about earlier. The sixth thing is this, revenge. Um, he tells us very clearly here, he says, uh, let's see. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bliss. For to this you were, you were called that you may obtain the blessing. There's a reason that we do it, and it's to obtain the blessing. And so whenever you go for, for revenge, you're actually forfeiting your blessing from God. So there's a reason that we do this. And so, so we stay away from revenge as believers, and we actually choose to bless. Uh, Meredith Ellis would, would call it um, acting out of the opposite spirit. So if someone comes at you with slander and hate and reviling your actions, then you bless them. You bless them, which is the hardest thing in the world to do. Yeah. So that's six character traits of a believer, and then six basically anti-character traits um, or character traits of an anti-believer. Um, and so you, all of us are capable of being caught up in that, and so I don't want that to be the case for us. We're going to go ahead and move on to the second way to live right whenever the world's gone wrong, and that is to live by the convictions of a believer. So we talked about the character, which is the what or the how you act. But now we need to talk about the why we do this as Christians. So let's read this together. It says in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now who is there to harm you whenever you're going after God? It might not be exactly what you think because Peter isn't necessarily writing to us specifically in mind. He was writing to the local church in that time. And at that time, Christians were being slaughtered and they were being tortured and they were being put to death for their beliefs. And so how could Peter say, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, what he's saying is this, the first conviction of a believer should be that our heart is set on heaven. What Peter is saying here is that they may crush our bodies, but they cannot crush our spirits. No matter what they do to us, they can never take us away from our future goal. The distresses of this world do not get to constitute the last word in your life whenever you have your heart on heaven. And so whenever everyone else is freaking out about the world, whenever everyone else freaks out, whenever people are slandering your character or slandering the character of people that you love, your heart is set on heaven. And so all of that stuff just bounces off of you. All right, then, um, then we have the, the second thing, the second conviction of a believer, which is to fear God and not man. Peter says in verse 13 that, hey, we're good, set your heart on heaven. But then he turns around in 14 and confirms it by saying, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And in Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One, uh, and the Holy One is insight. So the idea here is that the Lord is in charge of our spirits. And so man may be able to crush our bodies, but they cannot crush our spirits. And whenever man comes against you, God fights for you. When man comes against you, God fights for you. And um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so we're just going to keep going. The third conviction of a believer is this, um, to study God's word like everyone else's life depends on it. Verse 15, it continues and it says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. It is so important as a believer that you are able to express why there's hope inside of you, the hope that is in you. You need to be able to defend that. Do you need to be a Bible scholar? No. But do you need to be able to understand God's word in a way that you can articulate it to another person so they can experience the hope that is inside of you? Yes. Yes, it's a totally different thing. You don't want to be an immature believer. You want to be a mature believer. And as time goes on, the grace space for that gets smaller and smaller. You'll go through seasons, and if you're listening to the Lord, he's saying, hey, now's, like, now's time to really get on it with your studying in my word because you need to know my word in order for other people to experience me. Yes. And so it's so important that we, that we study God's word to, so that we're able to make a defense at any time to anybody. And every time that we do it, it's not a fight. We do it out of gentleness and respect. Yes. Uh, number four, the fourth conviction of a believer should be that you value being in good standing with God over everything. This can change your life. This is what I use for myself whenever things feel gray, whenever I feel like my, my compass north is for the right thing to do, um, feels like it's waning and I'm not sure where to go and everything's cloudy. Verse 16 says this, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, may be put to shame. It's so important that you know your why before you go in um, to a situation. It's so important. And, and one of our whys is to uh, be in good standing with God. And so I'll tell you for myself just a general story. I'm not going to use any names. But a couple of years ago, I had someone who came in to slander my character. It seemed like that was their full-time job. I didn't know what was going on. They, they came to slander my character and people that I love. And so I had to look at the people that I love. And for some reason, the Lord gave me a lot of clarity in that moment. And it was like, have we done anything wrong before God? So not just like, I'm just trying to justify myself. Have we done anything wrong before God? No. Okay, then I don't have to defend myself. God will fight for me. And it says it right here. So having good conscience when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When God fights your battles, your, your enemies are put to shame. And so you don't have to do it. Let God do it. And you just pray that they experience forgiveness and repentance. Let God handle it. And that's exactly what happened with me is people got tired of their crap and then just 
they ended up leaving the church because everybody was like, I see the character of Ethan and these other people around him. And so whatever they are saying can't be true. And then they got tired of it and they left. And then guess what? They did it at another church. (laughs) That they may be put to shame. Um, Number five, this is the, the last conviction, the fifth conviction of a believer, should be suffer for good and not for evil. Number 17 says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. In this life, if you've been around for any kind of years, you know that suffering happens in this life. It doesn't matter what you believe in because that's just the nature of life. And what Peter is saying right here is, hey, you're gonna suffer. Why don't you go ahead and make the reason that you suffer be because you're standing up for what is good and what is right rather than your own selfish, self-destructive behaviors. So it's important that we understand whenever we go in with our why, that whenever we suffer, if it's for God's glory, then we can find joy in it. And that's way better than the alternative, which is that you just make really poor decisions and um, all of the characteristics that we were talking about earlier on the negative side is just all kinds of separation and division takes place. You don't want any of that. And so it's so important to have your why. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then live by the convictions of a believer. Your heart is set on heaven. You fear God, not man. Study God's word like everyone else's life depends on it. Value being in in good standing with God over everything and then suffer for good and not for evil. And this is my final point. This is what I wanna close with. The third way to live right whenever the world's gone wrong, and this is the most important, is to live by the confidence of a believer. Live by the confidence of a believer. And so I want us to read this together. Verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, bring, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So the big idea that I see here is, because I was very confused whenever I first read this, I was like, what did Peter just say? I don't understand. But I see that the big idea here in in 18 through 20 is this, that, that number one, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus is victorious. And that the world used to be really bad. Peter reminds us that the world was so bad at one point that he cast judgment through water and wiped away everybody except for eight people, Noah and his family. It would basically be like if 2020 had a 2020, right? And so you think the world is bad now and it'll continue to get worse, it will. Um, But it was worse back then because I don't see God just wiping out everybody right now with, with water. And so we see that Jesus saves, we see that everything was terrible, but that he still was faithful to save those who followed him, which was Noah and his family. So he brings that up 
he brings that up and this is so cool. I want y'all to see this. I wanna read verses uh, 21 and 22 to close all this up. Baptism, he brings up baptism directly after he talks about Noah's, um, the days of Noah and the ark and the flood. He says, baptisms which correspond to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So we know that we're not saved by the physical act of baptism because um, Romans 8 tells us, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. So there's faith and then there's an appeal for a good conscience that takes place. Whenever you get saved, you go get baptized to be in good conscience for yourself with God because he tells us to. But one thing that I think is so beautiful, we're talking about the confidence of a believer. Our confidence is in our savior. We can have confidence in the one who saves. As a believer, be confident in the one who saves. So baptism, it's so cool because it's a representation of what Jesus has done on the inside of us, right? That whenever you go down, that's the death and burial of Jesus. And then whenever you come up, it's new life in Jesus, resurrection in Jesus. But baptism is not just a representation, it's also a reminder. It shows us right here that it's a reminder. He wants us to think back about whenever he used water as judgment and he's still saved. And now he uses water as a reminder for the believer that he still saves, that he still saves. And even more so, it's a reminder that we have living water running through us whenever we believe in Jesus that will never, ever run dry. And it's so cool that he took something, it's just like he did with the cross. The cross was an example of death and destruction and they had to come up with a word for crucifixion because they, it was so terrible, they didn't even know what to do with it. So it was, a, it was a symbol of death. And Jesus, God, he turned it around and made it a symbol of hope and redemption. And in the same way, he has done that too with water as we see here. Our confidence is in Jesus. This is so good that he took the water that was a symbol of judgment to the world. And now he uses water as a reminder of his mercy on the people he loves. What saves us? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Where's our confidence in? It's in the blood of Jesus. So how do you live right whenever the world's gone wrong? You live by the character of a believer. You live by the convictions of a believer. You live by the confidence of a believer. And so I want you to go home this week. Uh, if you have small group, do it with small group. If not, then I want you to find some, some friends that may be believers or call one of us up here um, in leadership and we can go have coffee with you. But I want you to, to take inventory of where you stand with this stuff. How is your character as a believer? You know, what are your convictions as a believer? Do they line up with what Peter's saying? And then finally, where is your confidence found in? Is it found in Jesus or is it found somewhere else?